go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are so fun to study. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we conclude uh, Revelation tonight, um, that you uh, just fix our eyes on you and, and allow us to understand things. And Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for the promise that someday it will be the end of days and there will be no more time and we will have eternity with you. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, turn to Revelation chapter 21. Now, I'm going to preface this. Um, this is not an excuse. Maybe this is just a challenge. Um, about three hours ago, my computer did some kind of rainbow bright thing and all the, the screen did weird things. And of course, I don't know what to do with computers. I, I grew up on Etch-a-Sketch, so this wasn't working. And But unfortunately, all my notes for tonight are on there. So so I'm going to wing this this thing. I will, we'll see how this, this works out, but I'm, I'm pretty confident. I remember what my notes said. So turn to Revelation chapter 20, 21. And just a reminder, we have, we have finished through the timeline. Remember Revelation, did I say Genesis? Revelation um, 1 talked about the past and it really introduced us in letter form um, to who Jesus was and is. And will be. And then chapters 2 and 3 bring us into the present. Talked about the seven literal churches um, that um, Paul started in Asia Minor. And it gave us positives and negatives um, from from each church. And then from chapter 4 all the way through about halfway through chapter 19, we talked about the tribulation and the seven years that will come after what we believe is the rapture of the church. Then, last week, we talked about the second coming and the millennium. Jesus comes back. And then we've got this thousand-year period, um, sort of a paradise or heaven on earth, where the church will rule with Christ. And then we found out at the end of the tribulation, Satan's loosed for a short time again. Um, He will deceive many. And we we came to the understanding that we believe that the people he's going to deceive are the children of those who are ushered into the tribulation. After that, we arrive to tonight. Verse 1, chapter 21. And this is John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. All right, we're starting out really good. How cool is it going to be to have no more tears? No more pain? No more heartbreak? No more struggle? How awesome is it going to be to have a new heaven and a new earth? Because the old earth and the old heaven has passed away. Now what this does tell us is that through the millennium, we're still going to be on the earth. Because it's not till after the millennium that the old earth and the old heaven pass away. At the end of the millennium, we talked about the great white throne. 
where if you're in front of that, um, you're going to be separated from God for eternity. After that, the old, remember, the old heaven and the old earth got thrown into the lake of fire. And so now we have a new heaven and a new earth. So let, that begins our discussion on, well, what, what's heaven going to be like? What, what is this, this whole idea? Well, first thing is, when you look at the ancient uh, manuscripts, and when you look in the Old Testament, a lot of times you'll, you'll see them talk about heavens, and, and sometimes they'll even say a second heaven and a third heaven, and you reread it going, oh no, am I part of a cult? And you freak out. And basically, in Hebrew thought, in that culture... There wasn't a differentiation between, have, uh, between uh, um, certain things. And when we look at heaven today, we just say heaven. Okay? Back then, the sky was called heaven. And what we now know as outer space or where the stars are was also called heaven. So they often referred to um, the sky as the first heaven. Outer space, or what we know as space basically, the second heaven. And it was the third heaven that they would say that is where God dwelt. Okay? So the old heaven, or the old earth, and the old heaven were thrown away. So now we have a new heaven and a new earth. This quite possibly means that all we have is a new earth and a new outer space. Okay? A new system, or solar system, or whatever that's going to be. Because heaven is going to be earth. There's a misnomer that the heaven is in the clouds and we're going to float up there and we have diapers on and we're playing harps and, and all that kind of stuff. And to be honest, for years I thought that's what it was. I watched too many TV shows and I went, man, heaven's lame. That, that's not fun. I don't know how to play a harp, nor do I want to learn. Um, so we have a new heaven and a new earth, which quite possibly means we have... Obviously, a new literal earth. The old one was marred with sin, so it had to be done away with. The old heaven was marred with sin, which is another reason why I don't think it was referring to the where God dwelt, because we know that it was not marred with sin. Those are thrown away. And so now we have a new heaven and a new earth. And God is the centerpiece. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem. This doesn't mean all of a sudden we're going to see a literal Jerusalem falling down. Jerusalem was where God's people dwelt. So all this means is a new Jerusalem. This is going to be a new city where God's people dwelt. It has nothing to do with the literal Jerusalem that we, we know of. Coming down out of heaven um, from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. Very cool. We often use the terminology between the trees, the tree of life, which we'll get to. Um, we saw that in the Garden of Eden. And everything on this side of the tree of life, God dwelt with men, and then sin entered the world. And from that point on, between the trees, until we get to the tree of life mentioned in heaven, everything's abnormal. Sin has marred everything. And then after the great white throne judgment, after the old heaven and the old earth get thrown away, we've got the new heaven. And from this point, for the rest of eternity, rest, actually that doesn't make sense, for all eternity, God will dwell again with his people. And so what that's saying is, where we are currently is abnormal. Normal 
And for the great 99.9999999% of infinity, God dwells with people. This is the only little blip on the radar where God doesn't dwell with the people. We live in this abnormal time. We live in a sinful, fallen world. And the cool thing is when we see miracles, and we, we've seen miracles throughout um, Scripture, and we still see miracles, when we see miracles, all that is is God giving us a little touch of normal in this abnormal world. See, if we look at it through an earthly, a worldly view, miracles are supernatural. They're abnormal. They're freaks of nature. It's actually the opposite. Miracles are normal. What we live in is the freak of nature. And so God is going to come down, and he is going to be the focal point. We are going to dwell with him. Right now, God, the Spirit, dwells within our heart. In heaven, it's going to be flipped. We're going to dwell within him. It's going to be really cool. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, separation, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away forever. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is the Greek way of saying I am the A to the Z. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liar, all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So those who are victorious, as you saw in chapters 2 and 3, those who overcome will inherit this kingdom forever. How do you overcome? It's not through works. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. And once you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been adopted. And we talked about this about a month ago, what adoption literally means biblically. And you are once and for all heirs to this. Everybody has eternal life on earth. Everybody that's ever existed has eternal life. The question is, where do you spend it? Do you spend it with God? Or do you spend it separated from God? Verse 8 can get a little confusing, but the cowardly... The unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, and the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Basically, what this means is, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your sins are forgiven as far as east is from west. When God looks at you, He sees purity. He sees Jesus. However, if, he, if he's looking at you and he's seeing the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderer, the sexually immoral, that means your sins have not been removed. That means you have not turned your life over to Jesus Christ. And what he sees is who you are. And that leads to separation. Verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues. By the way, if you haven't noticed, seven is a common number. 
um, in Revelation. If this was Sesame Street, it was brought to you by the number seven. Um, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me um, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance. And it was like that of a very precious jewel, like um, a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square or cube. As long as it is wide, it he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide as it is high as it is long. The angel measured <coughs> the wall um, using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Okay, and so we'll stop there. Okay, so we've got this city. This is heaven. And notice where the city is descending to. Earth. Okay? So heaven is, earth is part of that. Okay? So this city is huge. This city is huge. 1,500 miles. That's huge. <laughs> we call those states, big states. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is actually would be our biggest state. It would mess with Texas a couple times. This is huge, and it's square, and it's tall. It's a, it's a cube. And you notice that there's 12 gates, three on each side, east, west, north, and south. There's a gate and an angel guarding each gate. On each gate, there's one of the 12 tribes. And on each foundation, um, the city has 12 foundations going up. As the name of the apostles. All that means is that this city is not only for the 12 tribes, it's also for those, which would be us, that have our foundation in the apostles' teaching. And so what it's doing is it's symbolically bringing together Israel and the church. Three on each side. Now, some have asked, um, Jim Gaffigan asks, rather funny, why are there gates in heaven? Who are we trying to keep out? What kind of neighborhood is heaven in? And um, the whole idea of the gates is not to keep anybody out. Notice the gates are open. Um, all this is saying, this city has full access. Now, all of heaven isn't encompassed in just this city. This is just the focal point. They've done measurements of this city, or they've taken the measurements and they've done estimates on the amount of people that have ever lived from the beginning of time. And there's more than enough space for every single human that's ever lived. Everybody has had an opportunity to have a relationship with God. We see the term human measurements. We talked about this a while ago, um, what a cubit is. A cubit, when, when the Bible says a cubit, it's, it's from your elbow to the tip of your finger. That's a cubit. Now, a cubit's length is different between my cubit's a little bigger than my wife Barbie's because she's tiny, um, and then mine's a lot smaller than Shaquille O'Neal's. 
Okay, so but the average cube, it's about a foot and a half. Okay, this is a large city. This is a large wall. And it's beautiful. And it's pure. Now, whether these stones are literal or whether they're symbolic, we don't know. You'll see the number 12 used a lot. The number 12 is a number of order. You'll see a lot of things throughout the Bible that are put into 12, that are ordered in 12, whether it's the, the, the 12 tribes or, or what have you. And, and this is the number of order. And this, this city is going to be absolutely amazing. And we left off somewhere with Jasper. The wall was made of, verse 18, I believe, the wall was made of Jasper and the city of pure gold and pure glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Now here's where we left off. The first foundation was Jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, um, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, ruby. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, turquoise. The eleventh, Oh, yeah, Jessineth. Um, and the twelfth amethyst. Um, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great city, or the great street of the city, was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. This is the one spot in the Bible where it talks about the streets of gold. And whether it's literal gold or whether it is symbolic, saying that the streets are gold as as crystal as glass, basically, as transparent. It's, it's referencing purity. The city is pure. There's no need for chimney sweeps or street sweepers or... Uh, it, there's no dirt. There's no... There's nothing. It's absolutely pure. Absolutely beautiful. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, which is good because they've been thrown away. Um, the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut um, for there is no or will be no night there. Um, the, the reference there is the audience that this is being um, um, written to lived in cities with high walls and gates. And at night you shut the gate because that's when you were most vulnerable. And so you would shut the gate to keep the people out. And then once the, the day happened, uh, you opened the gates. Um, and if you had to come into the city at night, you'd go through the eye of the camel. You'd go th- through a little side door um, that was heavily guarded. Well, there is no more night. There is no more night, so there is no need for the gates to be shut, let alone there's no one that's going to invade anyway. Um, The other cool thing um, um, that we'll um, notice here is as we look look at this, whoops, let me make sure I'm not going to jump ahead. This is what happens when you don't have notes. Um, You know, I just totally lost my train of thought, so ignore that and rewind. Um, I'll get back to that. I did not see um, the temple. We got there. The city does not need sun or moon. There we go. I knew it would come back to me. Okay, so there is no need for the sun or the moon. Why? God is the light. Okay? So, this will be very much like back in the first three days of creation. Remember, there was no sun or moon then because the sun and moon came on the fourth. And we all know the moon does not give light anyway. It reflects it. So, 
there is going to be no more sun. There is going to be no more moon. God is the light, very much like he lit the universe for the first three days. Okay? The sun and the moon were used as markers. We don't necessarily need them for light. God chose to do that for us. So in heaven, he will be our light. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there is no difference between the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, this is not, um, it seems to read this way, but it's not meant to insinuate that there's a chance that bad people could get there. And that, that's why the gates and the walls are there. What this is just saying is heaven is going to be pure. People in heaven are going to be pure. There is no more sin. We talked, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, we talked about glorification. We will have glorified bodies. There will be no more sin. We will be saved from the presence of sin once and for all because sin and Satan will be in the lake of fire forever and ever, separated from God. Chapter 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse on the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and its servants will serve them. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp um, or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Again, we've got a lot of symbolism um, um, in there. We talked about the tree of life. It makes its reappearance. It hasn't been around since the Garden of Eden. So here's the tree of life again. Um, You'll notice that um, it's still depicts seasons. So however that plays out, apparently there's still some kind of way that there's seasons in heaven, whether that is a temperature differential, I doubt, but um, there is seasons, there is fruit, so there is food and, and all that kind of stuff in heaven. All right, that is about all we get out of our description of heaven. And a lot of people go, well, why doesn't God explain heaven? Because heaven would be lame if it could be explained. We can't understand heaven. We are given a glimpse, and this glimpse is used in symbolic methods. It's using worldly-type cities and worldly-type jewels and all that just to try to explain what heaven is like. But it is unexplainable. It is absolutely amazing. And the most amazing part about heaven is the fact that Jesus is there. And we're there with him. And you'll notice that we will be able to see God's face. Why? Because sin is no longer separating us. Forever and ever and ever and ever, amen, we will be with God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But let's keep going. Verse 6. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspired or inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy written in the scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. 
And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. He should have said, stop doing that, because this is the second time he's done this. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes at that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into this city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of this, of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes the words away from this scroll, from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share of the tree of life and in the whole um, and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things, or, or to these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. By the way, that's Jesus' last words, not Acts 1.8. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. All right. So, heaven and hell. Let's talk a little bit about heaven and hell because it's a it's a fun topic okay what is heaven well we've talked a little bit about that but let's look at some of the words that that we've seen in the bible and let's see if we can place these in their proper places um we've heard the word sheol we've heard the word hades the word hell or Gienna hell the lake of fire paradise abraham's bosom Okay, so let's talk about these. And real quick, I just thought of the, the, as Jesus is talking here and he says, do not take away any words from this book. A lot, a lot of people use this and say um, to cults, basically saying, see, the Bible, which you actually believe in part, the Bible says don't add any words to this book. It actually says don't add any words to this scroll, to Revelation. So, it's not talking about the entire Bible per se. It's talking literally about this scroll. However, what does the scroll cover? Covers the set, it covers um, chapter one, chapter two, and three. We talked about was the present. Four through the rest is future things. Okay, so don't add anything. So anybody who says that, for example, Jesus came to America, or or this or that, and 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 an angel appeared to me. Well. That didn't happen in here. And there's still things in here that are in the future after that moment that the cult's talking about. So yes, anybody who adds words or adds new truth is technically breaking 
that command. Okay, does that make sense? Because they're adding more future things than what's listed in this book. And this book is complete, or this scroll is complete. So any future things that other cults add, that is breaking that law. Okay? So, let's look at um, heaven and hell here. Okay, so let's look at Sheol and Hades. Those are the exact same thing. Okay? Sheol means the place of the dead, or the grave. Hades also means um, place of the dead, or the grave. Do not confuse this with the mythical version of Hades that you see in the Greek mythologies. Okay? Um, Hades um, is a Greek word that means place of the dead. Sheol's the Hebrew word that means place of the dead. Much like Christ uh, means anointed one in Greek, um, um, Messiah means anointed one in, in Hebrew. Okay? It's the same terminology. So Sheol and Hades are the exact same thing. And it means the place of the dead. Hell, when you see hell in the Bible, that means the Guiana Hell, which also means the lake of fire. This is not in vogue yet, okay? Nothing is in hell yet. It will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire, or Guiana Hell, or Hinnon, okay? That is what that's talking about. So Hades and Sheol are different than the lake of fire, and we'll explain that in a second. Paradise... Remember when Jesus looked, off, looked over to the thief and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise is the exact same thing for Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. Okay? It's, it's the same place. Okay? So what is paradise and what is Abraham's bosom? Because these are different places than what we just talked about, the new heaven and the new earth. All right. Follow me with this. Luke 16. Actually, don't follow me. Let's follow God. Um, Luke 16. Let's go to that. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Let's um, pick up in verse 9 or 19. There was a rich man um, who was dressed in purple and in fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, and this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's stable. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Some of your translations would say Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, um, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, Lazarus, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things, while Lazarus received the bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony." And besides all this, between us, uh, between um, us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here um, to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they did not 
if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. All right, real quick, time check. I don't have a time up here. What time is it? 7.40, okay. Um, so, Jesus tells this story, whether it's a true story that actually happened, um, probably not, this is more uh, a parable here, but Jesus talks about this place. And on, on one side, we have what's Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, and then there's a great chasm, separation, and on the other side is Hades, or in Hebrew, it would be Sheol. And there's, there's no crossing that divide. Before the cross, or before Jesus ascended to heaven, when people died, they went to one of these two places. They either went to Hades' side, or they went to Abraham's bosom, or paradise side. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, now, this might confuse you, so stay with me. The entire th- place where people would go before the cross technically is called Hades. And Abraham's bosom is a piece within Hades. Okay? Now, when Jesus died, and let's turn to these passages, turn with me real quick um, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. This is why it says, when he, and this is Jesus, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay, now go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter's all the way towards the end. 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's go to verse 18. Okay, so you saw what Paul said here, here. Listen to what Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. Okay? So, both those are references to Hades. Both those are references to when Jesus died and before he rose, he descended into Hades. He did not go to hell. Okay, that the people get that saying, oh, Jesus went to hell. That's not in the Bible. That's in something called the Apostles' Creed, and that's unbiblical. Okay, Jesus did not go to hell. He went to Hades, and the part of Hades he went to was paradise, Abraham's bosom. Okay, why did he go there? To proclaim. Okay, remember all those people that are in Hades before the cross had been pointing to cross. Many of them, those who were in paradise in Abraham's bosom, accepted God through their sacrifices. Many of those who were not in Abraham's bosom, on the other side of the chasm, in, um, in um, Sheol or Hades, did not. Which in, also includes all those evil spirits that were there. Once Jesus did this, 
he rose again. And when he ascended, he brought the captives or set the captives free. From that moment on, Abraham's bosom and paradise ceased to exist. And Hades was just left as a separation point. Okay, so once Jesus rose, he led the captives free with him. Okay, so Hades is a place of torment, a place of judgment. It is not purgatory. It is not soul sleep. It is a play. It is basically mini hell. Okay, it's horrible. Okay, after the great white throne, you'll remember what's thrown. What's thrown into the lake of fire? Old heaven, the old earth, and death, and what? Hades are thrown in to the eternal lake of fire, which is called Gienna Hell. That is the final resting place, the final place of separation, of torment, that was built basically for Satan, but that will be occupied by all those who die apart from Jesus Christ. Okay? So... That's what Hades and paradise and Abraham's bosom is. From this point on, um, in Revelation, there is basically hell, Gana hell, um, which is eternal separation from God, eternal separation from everything that is God, love, joy, peace, everything. And it's forever. And I know that is a hard concept. That is hard to deal with. I'll be honest. It's hard for me to deal with that... Yeah, cool. Hitler's in there forever. So some of my relatives. And and, and so it it is a hard comp. And it's also a hard concept to understand that we are forever and ever and ever with God in heaven. Because as humans, we we always have some kind of end. But there is no end. Million years is just like one year. I mean, there is no... In fact, there's really no need for time in heaven. There is no no night. Now, apparently, it does look like there's some kind of season, so there is maybe some use of time. I don't know. I'm assuming it will still help to say, hey, I'll be there in 10 minutes, or <laughs> I don't know. But um, So that's heaven. That's hell. Hell is the place you don't want to be. Hell is the place you don't want anybody to be. And I used as a description Hitler and a relative... Can I be honest with you? Hell is so bad that even Hitler, man, that's tough to watch anybody suffer. Does he deserve it? Yes. Does, do people that are separated from God deserve it? Yes. Does God throw anybody into hell? That's the next question. No. People are already heading that way. God doesn't throw people into hell. He takes people off that path and brings them into heaven. That makes sense. A couple other questions that have been asked. Are there degrees of hell? Are there degrees of hell? Will some people suffer more than others? I believe biblically the answer is yes. I do believe there are degrees of hell. There are many cases in the Bible where, where it says, Woe to you. Okay, And it talks about your suffering will be greater. Now let me tell you this. In hell, there's probably different degrees of suffering, but any little sin 
brings you there. Okay? So there is no difference between sins as far as what deserves hell. Any sin means you're separated from God. Okay? But yeah, I do believe there's probably different suffering in hell, but that doesn't mean, oh, cool, I, I, I'm not going to suffer as much as Hitler. I don't think anybody's going to say that in, in hell. Okay? And so the reason why I say that about Hitler or about anybody that we've, we've deemed as a monster or whatever is no matter who it is, as humans, as Christians, we have got to do everything in our power to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. To tell people that you do not have to spend eternity separated from hell. And even if I was back in time and I had an opportunity to be face to face with Hitler, I would try to lead him to Christ. Even on his deathbed, I would try to lead him to Christ. And then I'd punch him in the face. I'm just kidding. Um, But... we've got to do everything in our power to keep people out of hell. I'm not saying that God's not just for putting, for, for leaving people in that situation. But he has put us in a place to bring people out. And we all have that opportunity. And we all have people in our sphere of influence that many of them are divinely put there for you to proclaim the gospel. And that is our role. That is our job as a church. And so as we look at Revelation, the ultimate, it's the revealing of Christ. It is a warning. It is a warning to say, I am coming soon. Be ready. Be ready. Do everything in your power. Live as as if it's your last day. Live as if it was your last day. We know what's coming. And we said this a month ago. If you were placed on the Titanic on April 12th, you know what's coming. What are you going to do for those couple days? You're probably not going to be playing shuffleboard. But no one knew back in the Titanic what was going to happen in the future. As a church, we actually do. And that's what's crazy. We know what's going to happen. So what are we doing? What are we doing to not merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves, but to get out and do what it says? To live a life worthy of the call. And, and again, some of you, and I was in this position too, might not know what to say. I'm not trained. I don't know what to say. You don't need to know what to say. As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. Let God say it. Let God say it through your life. It can be an easy invite. We have a lot of fun with this whole Christmas Eve thing. There's a reason why we do that. It's to make it that much easier for you to invite your friend. If you don't know what to say, bring your friend to a place where someone does. The greatest example of evangelism was Andrew. When he walked over, grabbed his brother Peter, stubborn Peter, he probably drug him, said, Jesus, Peter, Peter, Jesus, talk. Notice Andrew didn't go through this list of, oh, I got to know the Roman road and all that. And all that stuff's great, by the way. 
But even if you don't know what to say, do something. Grab, bring them to a place where they will know. Maybe it's this next Bible study, whatever. Maybe it's a different church. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Let's get people in front of the gospel. Okay, let's close in prayer and then we will um, open some questions. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. We thank you um, for this fall season. And it's so hard to believe that Christmas is upon us. And in the midst of all the, the crazy things that happened during Christmas, I pray that we, we see Jesus. The reason for the season. And Heavenly Father, I, I just pray that you give us courage to reach out to those who need to hear about the gospel. The good news that, that God loved us so much that He became human and dwelt among us. That He died horribly on a cross, was buried and rose again. And that if we just confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Heavenly Father, give us each the opportunity to present the gospel this Christmas. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for next year. We thank you for everything that's happening within this church. And I thank you for Lynn and the leadership. And I just pray that you continually move us forward, continually keep us fixed on Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that in 2014 and beyond that Um, It is Jesus' name that becomes famous in Chandler, not Cornerstone. Heavenly Father, use us as a church to reach out to those who need. And we thank you and give you all the glory. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, any final questions um, on heaven, hell, um, anything we've talked about before? Anything that I misstated? (laughs) Hi. Um, I feel like we could do a whole night um, on that part that you talked about where Jesus went to Hades when he died. Yeah, yeah. did I open up So I'm trying to kind of take that in. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, does that have something to do with why he, when he was on the cross and he said, God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was separated. Okay from the Holy Father at that point? Okay. That is a phenomenal question, and thank you, so I can uh, make this, um, um, clarify this, because I should have said this. Um, there is the false doctrine that Jesus had to go to hell to continue to pay for our sins. That is unbiblical. Nor did he go to Hades to make any payment for our sins. That is unbiblical. Everything that needed to happen to pay the debt of our sins happened on the cross. And so when, when Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me? That was the moment on the cross where basically God turned his back. But it's Jesus' blood that paid for our sins. Once he died, once he died, he went down to proclaim, not to pay for anything else, not to endure more punishment for us, not to endure the hell that we should have endured. That's completely unbiblical. He went down, he proclaimed to the captives, he rose on the third day, and he ascended into heaven. Yeah, so, yeah, he, so there, there is no um, him having to pay or, or he had to go down there. Um, and again, it gets confusing because it became part of our Christian sort of lexicon because of the Apostles' Creed that he went down to hell, but that, that's, not, that's not true.
Yes, sir. I wanted to uh, clarify something. Uh, you talked about uh, uh, the New Jerusalem, uh, mm-hmm. which is the uh, bride of Christ. And Christ promised the disciples that he was going to prepare them a place, mm-hmm. which I understand is the New Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And it's the home of the church forever, mm-hmm. yes. throughout eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Israel and the nations, it's an earthly promise to them. There's no promise of to be a part of the bride of Christ. Correct. So the concept of the new Jerusalem being the new heaven uh, seems to, in my mind, contrary to what Scripture is really saying, it's just saying they're two different places, uh, and the Bride of Christ lives in the New Jerusalem, and the other people can come in and out, and it becomes a part of the earth, but uh, they have to have a new heaven, contrary to what you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. because there was sin in heaven. Satan fell in heaven, Mm -hmm. so uh, there was sin there. That's why we have a new heaven, and it's very possible that God the Father continues to live in the new heaven, and Christ, who is also God, lives in the New Jerusalem here on Earth. Uh, maybe you can talk about that for a minute. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so the New Jerusalem um, again, which is is a term, this, the city that comes that comes out. Okay, and we, we talked about on the description. Who are the occupants? Okay, the the differences between Israel and the Church are no longer there. Okay, there's just the Bride of Christ. There's just the bride of Christ. And so anybody who's accepted Jesus, whether they were uh, from Israel or whether they were from, um, they're just one now. So there's no more distinction there. And I, and what I believe is when they were talking about the, the 12 tribes on the gates and the, the um, referencing the apostles as the foundation was just symbolic of saying there, it, it, it's all one. Now, your point on whether this is, if it's heaven on earth, like it was sort of in the millennium, um, and that's what it, that that's that's debatable on it's a, it's a translation thing. So it, it's very possible that when it says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, that yes, there's going to be a completely new everything. And and I believe there's going to be a completely new everything. But I believe that God is going to be in. We're going to be in His presence, and the city is a focal point of that. But I don't think heaven is confined to just the measurements of this city. I think. Heaven, and we don't know the. It doesn't give us the measurements of heaven. It just gives us the measurements of the city. So I don't know how big heaven is, what that encompasses, whether there's going to be brand new stars, brand new planets, or whether that's just all totally done away. I don't know what the rest of heaven um, looks like. To be honest, I don't even know what our roles are post millennium. What 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 are we going to be doing in heaven? Um, I believe it's a place of um, infinite knowledge and learning and relationship and worship and just all that goes in there. And I believe it's, again, bigger and more profound than anything um, um, we, can, we can understand. So the old heaven, correct, whether, that, whether that's talking about just the sky, the soul, and heaven itself goes into hell or whether... I, I don't know, to be honest. I can't, I can't tell you um, on that. But I believe once the great white throne is and once the old has passed and the new has come, everything is created new. Now, obviously, God's not created new because he's not a created being. So he's, he's been, been there from the beginning through the end. He's, e, he's eternal. And so, so yeah, that's, that's sort of where I'm at on that. 
Um, but I, I could talk to you afterwards on that because I know that could be a little... Yep. Yep. Hi. Uh, yes, you explained uh, Hades, uh, and you crossed over purgatory. What is the definition of purgatory, and where is that? Uh, purgatory is, is not um, uh, biblical. Um, it, it's a... Um, what the Bible talks about is there is only, there is only basically, ultimately, there's only going to be heaven and hell. Now, before Christ, there was a temporary, which was Hades, okay? But once, once we get to, um, again, where the old is gone and the new, death in Hades um, is tossed away. There is no place where we are going to be where people who have sinned or, or away from God are going to have to go and pay for their sins, and at some point they will be released from purgatory. That is, that is a, a unbiblical. That's a misnomer. And what that philosophy did in the past was it, it brought in a lot of money to church because if you could possibly pay your way out of purgatory, then maybe you could do something on earth to help spring your, your relatives or... or reduce your time in purgatory, but that's not a, a biblical. Yes? Yeah, in chapter 21 and verse 24, it says of the city, the light, its light and the light of the nations of the earth, it will light the nations of the earth and the rulers of the world. Mm-hmm. So there's something going on besides the city, right? Yeah, so on that, and I, I looked at that because that is a little confusing, and ev- um, most of the the commentaries that I looked through and the and the the studies I I did was saying that w- that was basically um, John using modern terms to explain um, what this was gonna what this was gonna be, but it wasn't it wasn't a literal. There's actually going to be kings and nations and rulers and all that because all that's done away with um, after the Great White Throne. There's going to be no no more need for that. But it, that is a, a really confusing passage. During the millennium, are we going to reign here on earth, or are we going to have access to heaven, or are we going to be able to go back and forth? It seems to indicate, again, there's only six verses on um, millennium, and most of those don't explain the millennium. Um, it, it talks about we will be reigning with Christ, um, which we're, we're assuming is on, is on earth. And it's, it's still this current earth without sin, okay, without the without Satan and, and the opportunity to sin, but it's still a fallen, a fallen earth. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how, how that works. I would assume we, we do because we will be coming from there um, um, when, when the second coming happens. So I'm assuming that happens. I, to be honest with you, I don't know what access the people we are the ruling over have. Um, so I'll look, I'll look that up. Um, I believe the crowns, um, and the Bible talks about five different crowns. There might be more, but the Bible references um, um, five different um, crowns. A couple of them are referenced in chapters 2 and 3. Um, I believe those have something to do with authority and, and what we will be doing, um, but it never really, it explains sort of how you get that, like the martyr's crown or whatever, but doesn't necessarily say what, what's, what those represent and, and what we, so. Okay, and real quick, a time check, because... Okay, you're 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 allowed to go, but I um, there is no kaboom, so I mean I can answer some more questions. So, um, but there is kaboomers okay. somewhere that you need to take care of. <laughs> yeah, in the um, in the epilogue, um, yes, we get to the 
I think it's um, verse 15, it talks about outside of the dogs who practice magic arts and, and all of that. Maybe I'm not understanding the context of, because it's talking about outside of the city. Mm-hmm. So it almost goes back to the other question, too. What, what's going on outside of the city? It almost feels like there are those outside. Correct. And, and so the evil dogs or the evildoers. And um, again, everywhere I, I've looked and I've studied and people I've asked have indicated that that is just symbolic for the fact that there is that separation now. There is. It doesn't mean hell is like right on the outside of the city and, and we can't get sleep because they're yelling. And that's not, that's not what that is. Um, it's just, it's symbolic representing that there is a separation. And so for his crowd to understand that, John uses the context of a city that they would all understand. And we are safe within our walls and all the evils on the outside. And so that's what it means. It doesn't mean literally in heaven there's going to be that city. And on the outside, because we don't... Yeah. So I, it, that's, that's what almost all of the commentaries came back with on that. Yes, sir. Uh, you had mentioned a couple of weeks ago you were talking about how Old Testament believers would have the opportunity to turn away. Like if they knew the truth and they turned away, then they would not go to heaven. I just kind of wondered what your opinion would be on Solomon, whether he would go to heaven or not. Okay, so two things there. Um, the ones that have the opportunity um, are the ones actually in the tribulation. And so, and the reference, and again, I probably didn't make it clear enough, um, the reference there is, much like in the Old Testament, um, when, when you were living for God, you weren't necessarily sealed with the Holy Spirit. So if you decided to go, oh, this is not working, and you decide to go live a life of debauchery, then, then you've walked away from God. And, and that type of system will be back in force within the tribulation. So, Solomon... Um, is he a guy that totally walked away and um, will be in hell? And again, we don't know. And again, it, um, it's hard to judge anybody. And we're not supposed to judge anybody. Um, and that, that's a lesson the church needs to hear real clear. We're not supposed to judge anybody. We don't know anybody's heart. And so specifically back in the Old Testament or in that tribulation, only God knows someone's heart. And only God knows if they've turned. And to be honest... Only God knows if someone is um, saved now. Um, the Bible says, again, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, basically you turn from your sins, believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for your sins and payment of that, and that he rose and now has authority to take away those, those sins, you will be saved. If you do that, yes, you will be saved, but someone could say, I've done that, and they haven't. And so only God knows that. So as far as Solomon or any of the other biblical characters, and again, we look at the Bible and you look at Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 11 just goes boom, 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 boom. And all these great names, we have songs with these names. A lot of these names have written the songs we sing and they're called beloved and they're called true in faith and they're called all these great. And we look down there and we get murderers and drunkards and rapists and prostitutes and liars. And, and you go, wow. Wow, but again, at some point, these people turn to God. Now, it gets weird, as you were talking about, when some of these crazy things happened at the end of their life, and did they actually walk away? And again, there's no, there's no way to answer that. Um, so. All right. Well, 
thank you. Do we, are, we, are we good? Okay. Thank you so much um, for for having me this fall season. Hopefully, I didn't confuse you too much. The Revelation's a um, a crazy crazy by our crazy book in the bible and, and it is incredibly hard um, to understand um it definitely was a challenge trying to teach and um, give it some kind of clarity um but if you remember anything remember revelation is about the revealing of jesus christ it's all about jesus and it's all about who jesus is and what jesus um will do in the future and, and i hope it encourages us um to yeah, live that life worthy of the call, but also to get out there and proclaim. Get out there and proclaim. Um, and that's what, that's what we need to do as a church. Um, um, one of the most powerful passages for me personally in all the Bible is, is that, that, that crazy church um, of Ephesus that's doing everything right. Okay, they're, 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 they're not dealing with false falsehoods and they're they're serving and they're working hard and they're doing all these things right and they're doing what every church in america would dream and when jesus said and when jesus gives them the list of everything they're doing right any church in america would love for jesus to say that about their church and then jesus stops and says but you've forgotten your first love you got so busy working for me that you forgot about me and that's one of the biggest dangers of a church is that we get so busy in the being a church that we forget who the head of the church is and we forget to proclaim Jesus. And, and what does Jesus say to that, that church? Stop, do a 180, repent, and go back to where you were at the beginning. I want you. I want your relationship. I want your love. And... And so that's my, that's hopefully what we get out of Revelation. That's all about Jesus. And we should be excited to be able to scream out hallelujah. And we should be burdened to bring everybody with us to scream that hallelujah and keep everybody from being separated from God. And we should be burdened with making Jesus famous. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity. And Heavenly Father, I just, just ask um, that, um, that your word just speaks clearly and forgive me for um, confusing any piece of it. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for each and every person that's here and that's been here. And I pray that you give us um, the courage to step out of the box um, and reach out to those who need um, to hear the gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who, who long to dig into your word and those who attend mine, the mine regularly and who love to just dig into your word but give us the courage to do more than dig, but to actually get out and, and use it. And we thank you for those in here that do that and who live that life worthy of the call. And Heavenly Father, we, we lift up this whole relentless um, idea of Christmas Eve. And, and we just pray that as people walk away, that number one, that they will discover you for the first time. And for those of us who have made a decision for Christ, that we will walk away this Christmas season being relentless knowing that you are pursuing us with everything you have and that we should in turn pursue you. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you again. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this incredible country we live in. Um, we pray for both. We pray for your guidance. We love you and we praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, again, guys, thank you so much. We will hopefully see you January 7th. <laughs>